Let's go turn in Scripture this morning to Matthew 5, 21 through 26. It's going to be on the screen, so feel free to just watch the screen. Um, you can pull it up on your phone if you want. Um, we're trying not to use the Bibles and the books in the pew as much as possible because every, well, every time we do, we gotta like we have to sanitize them and make sure there other people aren't touching them. So we're trying to use the screens as much as possible. But we're gonna read from Matthew 5:21 through 26. Hear these words from the Lord. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, "Do not murder," and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to their brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift or your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with them on the way. Or they may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, I tend to shy away from doing uh, sports, like, you know, using sports as reference in sermons because not everyone watches sports, but I feel like this is a pretty good one. I had just finished watching the Netflix documentary on Michael Jordan, uh, The Last Dance. It's a good documentary. I do, I do, I do recommend it. Um, I, most of us know Michael Jordan, right? The famous Chicago Bulls player. I'm a big Bulls fan. It's hard right now to be a Bulls. For the past, for a long time, it's been hard to be a Bulls fan. And um, just you know, watching these games from Michael Jordan and seeing the old footage of him playing, watching Michael Jordan play basketball is truly a thing of beauty. The man was incredible. It's just like artistry. The, what he could do with basketball, it's great. And what's funny is this a lot this documentary was receiving a lot of criticism from people because it was produced one of Michael Jordan was one of the producers. And so how is it going to be a good, accurate, honest documentary if there's some guy who's the star of it trying is basically like telling them what they could put in the documentary. And a lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's going to put him in too positive a light. It's not going to be very good." It does do that in some ways. But more importantly is how even after that, the documentary makes Michael Jordan look like such a jerk. It's, ah, oh, the guy, it's crazy. There are multiple instances where Michael Jordan will reflect on, you know, something someone said to him in passing at a basketball game. Or how, you know, decades before a team, uh, one of the players on the other team didn't give him a handshake. Or how a coach didn't go up and shake his hand at dinner the night before a game. And he would say that that is what motivated me. That's all I needed to be able to beat that team. And you can just see that all that resentment and anger is still there inside this man. And he used that as a motivator in order to do all these things. 
And just how damaging that is all these years later, this resentment corroding on the inside. Yeah, I like, I like Michael Jackson, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan as a basketball player, but as a person, he's, I don't know. And that's what Jesus is talking about today in this passage, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Just a quick thing to point out. He's not saying, you know, like, he's, he's talking about resentment, long-term anger, the type of anger that will break up relationships, right? Because in some ways, anger, in, 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 immediate anger can be okay, can be a motivator. It's a dangerous thing, right? I mean, Jesus got angry when he saw all the people in the temple, you know, all the money changers and all that stuff. He got angry about that. But we got to be careful with anger. We'll, we'll see. It's a very dangerous thing. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus... He's taking some time. He is preaching to people who are coming by. Um, uh, probably a mixed crowd of people. There's probably some Jews. There's probably some Gentiles. And it's all sorts of people. People who are coming. And maybe they'd stop and they listen to Jesus speak for a little bit. While, and then they go on their way. And so people are picking up bits and pieces. This would have been a pretty common scene in Jesus' day. A lot of traveling teachers. You know, um, these, this, this sort of academia would have happened out in the open. And so people would have been listening into this and coming and going. And of course, we know that if Jesus is preaching something like this, where Jesus is offering his commentary on the laws of Moses, you know, the ever popular uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, they're all going to be there too to make sure they know what Jesus is saying, to make sure that they can wag their finger when they, he says something they don't like. And so Jesus is, you know, maybe he's on some sort of mountain, um, some sort of hillside, and he's offering his interpretation of the law. He's giving the people the law in this Old Testament-like scene, Jesus, the great law giver. And that's where he tells the people He's going through these Old Testament laws and he's saying, you know, you heard, we all know thousands of years ago, Jesus is saying, when, when our people got the law, that one of them was do not murder. You should not murder. Anyone who's murders is going to be subject to judgment. But what I say is that anybody who is angry with someone that is just as bad as murdering them, anybody who says, who calls people bad names, like you fool, you idiot, stupid, you are just as guilty as murdering someone. And so therefore, if, you're gonna, if you are going to offer an offering to God, maybe you're doing a sin offering, you know you've done something bad, so you're going to offer something to God. It's better that you stop there, go and find the person who you have this broken relationship, reconcile, then go back and offer the sacrifice. The sacrifice is, is secondary in some ways to the mending of the relationship. And make sure that you're, you don't deal with things in court. If you can settle things out of court, it's going to be a lot easier. And that is what Jesus is saying. He's sharing with these people how dangerous and how bad this corrosive anger, this resentment is to our relationships. And, and people, people in Jesus' time, they would have known. They, they all had people they were resentful of. They would have known people they're thinking of, oh man, I don't know, I don't want to reconcile with that person. I don't want to reconcile with so-and-so. 
And of course, all the Jewish people, they would have known, well, I'm pretty resentful about the Roman Empire occupying our area. I don't want to deal with them. And Jesus insinuating to them that your relationships with other people are just as important as the right relationship you have with God. Sacrificing things to him. This is just as important as, the, as having proper relationships and good relationships with our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. And this would have been pretty... People would have been a little bit confused by this because... Because at that time, everyone was saying, no, 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 what, what's the most important is a right relationship with God, right? That's what's important. Once you get this right, everything else is secondary. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. They're equals. And, you know, we, it doesn't say it here, but later we hear in other passages of Jesus brushing up and, and, um, and rubbing up against the Pharisees. And we can just imagine that in this moment, the Pharisees would have heard these words of Jesus and they would have been horrified. Not necessarily out of the get-along type thing, but out of the fact that Jesus here is reinterpreting the law. And the Pharisees would have been okay with that. It was pretty common for these teachers to go around and giving their thoughts and interpretations on the law of Moses back then, of the Ten Commandments. They, they understood that. That was a pretty common thing. But what they're thinking, what they would say to Jesus is, shame on you, Jesus. You give no support. You give no references. You do not quote any scripture. You are saying... Uh, that's what the law said, but this is what I'm saying. What authority do you have to do this, Jesus? Shame on you. You do not have that authority to just proclaim new laws or add to the laws. Who, the only person that has that authority is God. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Is what they would be saying, what they say later on in other passages. And it almost seems like the Pharisees and other parts of the, the Old Testament, they're calling Jesus' names too. And I just, it's interesting to me that Jesus is so quick to point out the importance of name-calling and how that stuff hurts. You know, we all know the, the old rhyme, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I remember an English teacher of mine in high school who said, we were talking about the importance of words, and he said, that is a bold-faced lie. Words are the first thing to hurt. We all know, maybe like Michael Jordan, we all know times when people have called us names, when people have used harsh words on us. We can think about those times. And those have maybe happened decades ago, and we can still, they still sting, these wounds that we have. Or maybe we can think about times in which we called other people names, in which we have harmed others by calling them, and we still think that, and we still feel guilty about the things that we've called other people. And how even these insignificant things, these, these words that we throw out flippantly, and we say, we say, oh no, we're just joking, it's fine. They know I'm joking, it's no big deal. Or we say, well, you know, I was just angry and 
I needed to get some stuff off my chest, but I really didn't mean it, or eh, it's no big deal. They don't really mind. They understand. No need to bring it up again. But deep down, we all know that these insignificant things are the things that can cause strains on our relationship, that can harm us and harm the relationships we have with others, people we love, people we care about. I imagine if we took a minute, all of us could think of, could think of someone that we have a strained relationship with. Maybe it's someone that, you know, we have harmed them in some way. Maybe it's someone that's harmed us. If anybody, if you know of anybody who doesn't have a strained relationship with someone, I don't believe you, um, but you can let me know. Uh, but I think we all have a strained relationship in one way or another. And maybe we're thinking, you know, maybe these people in our minds, we think to ourselves, I would love nothing more to be able to reconcile with them. And we grieve the fact that, this, that, that we have a broken relationship with this person whether it's their fault, whether it's our fault, or whether it's a mix. It's usually a mix, right? And then there's some of us who are thinking, I would much rather go to court than ever deal with that person again. I am glad they're out of my life. I don't want to deal with them at all. And all these broken relationships remind us of the effects of sin and evil, of the effects of anger and resentment in our hearts, we all know people who are motivated by resentment and anger and how, how it seems like their lives are so unhealthy. And we don't want to be like that. But are we ready? Are we ready to follow what Christ is proclaiming here in this passage? To seek reconciliation with the people, with people who have hurt us, with people that we have hurt? Are we ready to go and forgive people who have hurt us so badly? Are we ready to go and ask forgiveness for people when we have made big mistakes in the past? Are we really ready to do that? What Jesus is asking here is a big deal. This isn't just, oh, let's all get along and forget about it. This is deeper and way more meaningful than that. You know, a lot of us have been hearing all over the news, everywhere, that we are living in a very divided country right now, a very polarized country. You know, and the, it's been a result of a lot of name calling on both sides of the political aisle, where people, you know, do we really want to reconcile with people who have thought so negatively about us for the past, you know, how many years? The people who accuse our political side of harsh things. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, the, the country is so divided, but the church needs to sh step up and show people what it means to live, to, to live with each other, to love each other, and to put these divisions aside. And my answer to that is, what makes us think we could do that much better of a job? Right? As far as I see it, when you look at the state of the, of the church in the U.S., it's just as divided as the country. All the same divisions that are out there in the culture are inside the church. So what makes us think, what makes people think the church is going to do a better job? And their answer may be, well, I mean, we got Jesus. Well, that's a pretty good answer. Maybe the church can't do it on its own, but maybe with the power of Christ, we can do something about this division. 
And I think that's a good place to start. You know, when Jesus, he's giving this, when he's uh, when doing the Sermon on the Mount, when he's offering these interpretations on the law of Moses, here, the sixth commandment, this isn't just some nice, wishy-washy, peace and love. Hey, just get along with each other. You know, life is easier when you get along. Don't, you know, be excellent to each other. Maybe as Bill and Ted would say, it's like, don't, don't, don't worry so much. Just say nice things and sing kumbaya and everything will be nice. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying goes so much deeper than that. It goes to transform. He is calling for a transformation of creation to transform the way we think. What Jesus is doing in on the Sermon on the Mount is he is ushering the kingdom of God. He is bringing forth the kingdom of God. You see, in this scene, in, just like in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, Moses, uh, God calls his people out of Egypt. He calls the Israelites out to Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he gives them the law. And the people hear Moses read the law. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is showing that is what he is doing. Jesus is the great lawgiver in the same prophetic vein as Moses. But even more than that, Jesus is calling his people out of a world of sin and evil and ushering in a new, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Yes, in the same vein of Moses, but more importantly, just like his Father in heaven, the one who gave us the law, Jesus has the authority to give the law. The Pharisees might not like it. The Pharisees might want him to cite his sources and give scripture references, but Jesus has the power through his own power to tell them what the law truly means. Jesus fulfills the law, a law that minimized suffering, that said, eh, don't kill anybody. Jesus is saying, in the new kingdom of God. It goes beyond that. The kingdom of God, human relationships isn't based on the bare minimum of not killing each other. Although we don't want that either. We don't want people killing each other. It goes deeper than that. That when we say do not murder, that means that we are going to seek and we are going to bring out good, powerful, healthy, loving, honest relationships between others where people can be together in love and in grace. That is what Jesus is ushering in as the great lawgiver, the one who can interpret these laws, who can tell us what they truly mean. Jesus is reminding us of his power that he has to bring about true reconciliation between people, right? I hate to spoil the story, We'll hear about it, you know, in a couple months and later on in the book of Matthew. But Jesus dies on the cross. He offers himself so that we, that his followers, his, the citizens of the kingdom of God, they can be reconciled to him. Jesus shows us what true reconciliation means when he takes our sins on him and he offers himself as a sacrifice so that we can be made right with God. That is true reconciliation. He shows us what it means, what it means to put these laws and to fill them. 
put them into practice and fulfill them. And therefore, he points us to what we are called to do. He doesn't just end there. He doesn't just end with this, oh, well, you're good to go. You've been made right with God. That's all that matters. No, no. Just like he says, put down your sacrifice and go be reconciled with your neighbors, with your brothers and your sisters. Jesus ushers in the ministry of reconciliation that Paul picks up in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, the ministry of reconciliation where Christ is now being resurrected he is reconciling. He is making all things right. He's reconciling all things to himself. And we are called into that as citizens of the kingdom of God that we are. Jesus is inviting us into this new way of living that isn't just about the bare minimum, that isn't the bare minimum of having a pretty good relationship with God and not killing anybody, but is actually about seeking the, flourish, the flourishing of all people and loving our neighbors and our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a powerful, redemptive, life-changing reconciliation that Jesus ushers in that spills out all over us so that we, that, and that we can't help but affect and reconcile with others in our lives. It's a big ask, though, but it's a powerful thing that Christ ushers in there's, there was a story I heard on the radio a few years ago. It's a really powerful story. There's a few stories like this. It just really shows the testament to it. Um, but it was about this woman named Mary Johnson and this man, O'Shea Israel, in Minneapolis. If anyone wants the link to the story, I can send it to you. But Mary Johnson, she had one son, her own, an only son. And you know, he go, it, he, this was decades ago. He was a teenager, and he goes to a party. And Mary Johnson's son gets into an argument with O'Shea Israel, and sadly, tragically, O'Shea Israel, he murders Mary Johnson's only son. Well, he's arrested, he's taken uh, to prison, and he's prosecuted. And Mary Johnson, a Christian woman, she talks about it, how she knows she feels called to forgive this man, but she just can't bring herself to do that. And so after years of praying, she through the legal process, she's able to have some meetings with her son's murderer, O'Shea. And she meets them a few times. And finally, she talks about having this meeting where she just, after years of resentment, she's able to fall into this man's arms. And O'Shea Israel, he, he, he talks about being kind of confused, so he just hugs her. And, they are, and Mary Johnson was able to forgive him. And this isn't a, I forgive you, but now I never want to see you again. No, 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 no. They're able to continue this relationship, and eventually he gets out of prison. And now, decades later, they live next door to each other. And not only that, not only that, Mary Johnson is able, she calls him her adopted son, the man who killed her only son, who murdered her son. She considers him her new son. And at the end of the, end of the, the article, she says, I love you, son, to O'Shea. Nothing but the power and reconciliation of Christ could, could bring that about in someone's life. This is the power of Christ at work in the hearts of the citizens of the kingdom in this story. And now, 
We're not saying, and Jesus isn't saying this either, that, oh, this is easy. This is easy. Go out and forgive everybody who's harmed you. No, 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 no. Mary Johnson, she'll be the first one to tell you that it isn't. But this is the type of power and reconciliation that Christ is ushering in in this sermon. This is what it means to be members of the kingdom of God. And it's so important, this reconciliation, that this, you know, not just not hurting anybody, not murdering anyone, but deeply, but seeking these deep relationships with one another. This reconciliation is so important that we design our worship around that, right? Every week, what do we do? We confess our sins. We, 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 we hear that God forgives them. We have been made right with God. We are reconciled to God. But before COVID, in the before times, a long time ago, you remember <laughs> we used to shake hands, right? Some people thought it was kind of gross. Some people didn't understand why we did it. But the reason that we did that, the reason that we shook hands is because, like Jesus says in this passage, when we come before God and are reconciled to him, that means we need to be reconciled to one another. And so we shake hands. We pass the peace of Christ to each other. That is what it means. That is why we worship. To remind ourselves that we are people who seek reconciliation. We don't do it by our own power. We don't do it because eh, it's a nice way to live. We do it because of the reconciliation that Christ ushers in. That he proclaims here on the Sermon on the Mount. And that he ushers in on his death on the cross. And that he continues to spread as, a re as the resurrected Son of God. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight for many of us. But we trust that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are no longer defined by our anger and resentment, but that the Holy Spirit is at work in us to bring about true reconciliation to, the, to creation, but also to those around us. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we come to you. Many of us, maybe we're even thinking of names of people who we, we know we need to reconcile with. Some of us are thinking, Lord, give us an opportunity. I would love to speak to that person. Others of us are saying, I do not want to do that, God. This is going to go bad. But Lord, we trust you. We trust in the one who reconciles us to you, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the, the great reconciler, the great lawgiver who ushers in the kingdom of God. Lord, we are your citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us this week, Lord, to know how to seek reconciliation with people, to not live by anger, but instead mm -hmm. to continue to live by love and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.